luck with the word. Welcome back to the Girls Gone Wild podcast. This week on the show, we have Molly Barr. She is a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida, and also she's licensed in the state of Hawaii. And I wanted her to come on the show because I've been wanting to talk to someone who is a certified intuitive eating counselor. That just means that um, you took the, the certification through Evelyn AAA. If you're not familiar with her work, she wrote the book on intuitive eating. So I highly recommend you check that out. We talk a little bit about it. We cover a lot of topics. We jump around quite a bit, but I think that is just a note for us to come back and hone in on one of these topics because there is just so much to what we discussed today. Just wanted to give a heads up. We do talk a lot about disordered eating and some eating disorder behaviors. If you're struggling with an eating disorder or just struggle hearing that talk, please take care when listening to this episode. I will also post resources in the show notes where you can receive help either from Molly or reach out to an eating disorder therapist or a therapist in your state. Yes, we are going to have Claire back on the show. I know you guys are probably like, why is Joy doing all the talking? We don't want to hear Joy talk all the time. (laughs) Yes, Claire will be back. We just really wanted to get this relaunch going sooner rather than later. In my mind, if you start a project and get the ball rolling, it just kind of picks up momentum faster and I don't like to wait. So with Claire's schedule and my schedule and doing the This Is Joy and Claire podcast in addition to On Your Marks Get Set Bake, which is coming out this fall. You guys, we're going to be releasing at the end of September. So please go to On Your Marks Get Set Bake and subscribe to that feed as well. In addition to This Is Joy and Claire. So yes, you have three podcasts from us. And thank you guys for just your patience and support and understanding. You can follow us, Joy and Claire underscore on Instagram. Support us by supporting our great sponsors. I will link those in the show notes as well. And thank you guys for just being wonderful, wonderful supports over the years. Here's the episode with Molly Barr. So why don't you go ahead and get started, Molly, and introduce yourself, your credentials, your background, and then we'll get into a discussion about a lot of important things. Sounds good. All right. So I'm Molly Barr. I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida, and I work with people in Hawaii as well. And I work with disordered eating, eating disorders, body image, trauma, anxiety, depression, and all the things we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. You're also trained in EMDR, yeah? I am, yeah. So am I. Oh my gosh, it's funny. I was just going to show you I was holding on to the tappers before this. Oh, no way. Were you nervous? <laughs> Super nervous. <laughs> That's really funny. I'm like, don't be nervous. It's fine. Yeah, the, the little buzzers. Yeah. Yeah, the little, I call them kitten purrs because everyone says, like, buzzers. What are you going to shock me? And it's like, no, it's like little kitten purrs in your hands. That yeah. Like yeah. EMDR is great. So uh, for people who are not familiar with EMDR. It's a type of treatment where you are really focusing on healing trauma. So if you want, if you're interested in looking into that, you can just Google EMDR. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, right? I always want to say reprogramming. I feel like reprocessing (laughs) is... (laughs) That makes sense. It makes sense. But I'm like, you're not like repro. We're not robots. But I will always get that wrong. But anyway, it's uh, a wonderful type of treatment to really target traumas that are causing PTSD symptoms. It doesn't have to be a PTSD diagnosis. But really, that's when we utilize that treatment modality the most because it's so effective when you have someone with some pretty severe PTSD symptoms. In any event, what drew you to 
the world of therapy. You know, I'm a therapist myself. People often ask, like, how did you get into the field? What interested you about it? And specifically, what population did you really want to work with first? I like to think that all therapists come from this place of, I've been there before. I don't know if that's true, but I have been there before. I had a traumatic incident in high school and I kept that trauma to myself mostly. I mean, everybody knew it happened, but they didn't know how much I was suffering after. So eventually I got treatment for that and it worked so well that I was like, I want to dedicate my life to this. This is something, this is such a great way to give back. And I just wanted to be that person for other people. And so I went into this field. I feel like it's such a blessing to have that happen in high school, just because I knew that's when I'm going to get my degree in. I'm going to go get a master's after. So I kind of had my life planned out from that. So kind of making lemonade out of lemons for sure. But I thought I was going to work with PTSD. I was going to work at the VA. I was going to do all these things. But then I was so interested in dieting and food and body image. And I had my own issues with all that stuff, but I didn't quite realize it. And I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to help people with binge eating disorder. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. But of course, like jump ahead 15 years. I am working with PTSD. I'm working with eating disorders in a very different way than I had expected to back then. And uh, that's I'm here today. Yeah. And the reason why I reached out to you, this is like our actual first time talking, but I'm, you know, we're relaunching the Girls Gone Wild podcast. We're really interested in getting more discussions back online with health and wellness and fitness and how fitness doesn't have to be a bad thing. We don't have to shy away from talking about it, but we do need to have an important conversation about how we are caring for ourselves, that it is not turning into something that is disordered. So how do we, how do we know that, you know? And so I think that it's important to me to talk to you specifically, A, because you're a therapist. So I know, you know, like the language of mental health, but I was having this really difficult time having a conversation about fitness and food without having a conversation about mental health, because we often, one of our great guests that we have on the show quite often is Laura Ligos. She's a registered dietitian. We're always talking about food and how you need to take care of yourself and not starve yourself. And um, from the nutrition standpoint, she's brilliant. She's wonderful. I encourage everyone to go listen to those episodes. But she will often talk to me about how people come to her that it starts to cross over into the mental health eating disorder side. And she's like, you need to talk to a therapist. And so it's, it, to me, it feels really most of the time we can't suss out the two. They need to really be working together. So that's kind of thing one. And then thing two that I really wanted to talk to you about was intuitive eating. And I know you did the certification through Evelyn Tribole, who is the one of the you know godmothers of intuitive eating, literally wrote the book with her uh, one of her partners, working partners, and that I feel that like many things in social media, it has been co-opted so many times that it has lost meaning of what it actually what it actually is. So I want to get the actual definition, what it is, how it's misused. Um, so people can really know what intuitive eating is, because I think what happens is people will go on diets and they'll be like, well, now I'm taking an intuitive eating approach. And it's like, well, do you even know what that means? And it sounds to me like you're trying another diet. So let's take a step back and let's talk about the basics of intuitive eating. What is intuitive eating? I almost want to start off by saying I've been there. Me too. I said the same thing. I've done every diet under the sun and 
I know that at times I've said, oh, I'm intuitive eating today without even knowing what that meant. It's so funny that I even knew that phrase to use. And I know it's like everywhere now. So people have heard of it, but a lot of people don't know. It's actually, it's a framework of 10 principles that help get us to like reconnect with our body and become the eaters that we were before. We were all born as intuitive eaters. And eventually diet culture comes in, diet mentality comes in. It really disconnects us from our bodies and knowing what we really need. And so this is going to help guide us back to that in a set of 10 principles. 10 principles. Okay. And what is maybe off the top of your head, if you kind of have some maybe pet peeves of what people get wrong about intuitive eating or myths about intuitive eating, or just they think it's just, what do you hear or see that you feel like, oh, that's, we're missing the mark? I think the number one thing is that it's not just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. It's such an easy breakdown of what it is, but it is so much more than that. And so I think just even knowing there's 10 principles, eating when you're hungry is one of them, but we don't only eat when we're hungry. Sometimes we eat when we're not hungry for really good, valid reasons, and it's important to eat then. And it's not just stopping when you're full. So it's like very complex. I always recommend people to read that book. There is, it's in its fourth edition now and just read the book. It is thick. It might take weeks and months but it is so much more than just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And it's not a diet. It is not a <laughs> diet. It is not about losing weight. The very first principle is to reject the diet mentality. So we're going to put weight loss on the back burner for mm-hmm. now. Which is really hard for people to grasp. And I think I have a hard time grasping that because I will hear often people will ask us whenever we're kind of talking to the diet, uh, Laura Ligos, the sassy dietitian is her handle on Instagram. Whenever we're talking to her, people will be like, well, how do I want to, lo- I want to lose weight, but I, I don't want to diet, but I still want to lose weight and I still want to be okay with it. So how do you approach that question? There's a lot of ways to approach that question. That's like, we could go in a hundred directions with that. And the one thing I'll come back to with intuitive eating. So a lot of people will come to me and say, I just want to eat like a normal person, you know, whatever that means. And so I just kind of reframe intuitive eating is about healing your relationship with food. And we can't do this work without also doing body image work and getting really critical and really digging deeper into why do we want to lose weight? Why do we think that that is good and that we look better? What else? It's so layered. It's very complex. So that's when like the spider web starts to go out. We need to go to like each little pillar of that and dissect it. Yeah. Um, Laura Legos, again, I'm just going to keep referring to her because we, we just had this conversation last week and she has started to do a diet inventory when that, whenever she's working with a client for her dietitian work and they will start with a diet inventory because she's like, it just kind of helps me understand when did they first learn about diets. And she's, she's really good about staying in her lane. She's not trying to do therapy, but she just wants to know the history of when did you learn that diets were a thing and that your relationship with food has changed because that, that it's in, it inevitably comes into the dietitian discussion when she's working with people on how to eat. We also had a conversation about her son. She has a six month old son, Connor, and she's like, I learned so much just watching him because babies and children that are, you know, young children that haven't been 
infiltrated with diet culture yet and rules around food just intuitively eat. They're the natural intuitive eaters. She's like, Mm -hmm. one day he's hungry, the next day he's not. One day he wants to breastfeed, the next day he just wants solids or whatever, you know. So it's just really important that we do step back and look at the rules that we were given, whether it be clean your plate, you need to eat everything on your plate. That's a bad food. We don't have sugar in this house. Don't eat sugar. Don't eat this. Maybe a parent has been on a diet the whole time and the kid is watching the parent criticize the body. That's really hard as a child to make sense of. And then later in life going, why do I have such a weird relationship with my body? Oh, I watched my mom diet the whole time. Or I work with patients who, not specifically for eating disorders, but have mentioned to me, my mom put me on a diet when I was seven years old. And I was I was on a diet ever since then. So kind of putting the parents putting their issues onto their children. There's a lot there's a lot that could happen that really completely takes us out of touch with our bodies. So for listeners who kind of are don't even understand the concept of like, I don't know how to listen to my body. I don't know what it even wants anymore. I don't know what hunger cues are. What are like the first steps you take with people just the very first basic steps to, to start to unravel this web? Or is it more complicated than that? It is much, it's complicated and everybody is so different. So I think that's the one key piece here is this is not an A, B, C, D because everybody is so different. So I can say this one thing and it might not work for you. So if this doesn't work for you, that's okay. I often refer to a dietitian because they can take the food side of things. I can take the mental health side of things. And kind of like you were saying, it's almost like a Venn diagram we do as therapists do kind of touch over into the food side of things and dietitians also touch into the mental health side of things. It's totally normal for those to overlap. But I, I do want to make sure that people are at the very beginning, at least starting to eat enough because that's going to make things really complicated. And that might include eating every three to four hours and making sure you have all the macronutrients and you're starting to tune into hmm, what sounds good right now and just start to listen to that even just pausing with that what sounds good and it's going to take some time it's going to take some time because the other thing i just hear listeners coming in and be like well if i'm if you give me permission to eat whatever sounds good i'm going to eat a whole cake and you might and you might (laughs) like you know what i mean like that's there's this fear of like the second i let go of any rules i'm going to eat everything in my house Absolutely. Because that is what happens with our system. That is the result of restriction and it doesn't last forever. It doesn't last forever. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So let's, let's keep on that track for a moment, just because I want people to hear that is like, same with kids. Like, well, if I let my kid eat whatever he or she wants, they want, then they're going to eat everything in the house. They're just going to eat sugar Mm -hmm. all day. And it's kind of like, it's not, not forever, I can guarantee you, because eventually you're going to be like, that just, that doesn't sound good. You know, it's interesting because that going into the restriction, I think some people would say, well, I'm not really restricting myself. I'm just kind of like keeping myself in a lane. (laughs) Like, but you are, if you look at a food and be like, oh, I couldn't, I can't have trail mix in my house. Like, I mean, I'm talking about myself. Some, I used to be that person. I can't have trail mix in my house. I'll eat the whole bag. And that is, you know, I've heard like, let's take, for example, the whole 30, is it? Uh, Mm -hmm. Where they call it the, they've actually called it like the food with no breaks, which have you heard that term? No. Yeah. So whole 30, (laughs) 
What is your reaction when you heard that? Your face was kind of like, <laughs> oh my God. I need your, re- like, what's your reaction? I just need your like real life reaction to that term. Oh no, no. <laughs> It's not yeah. true. It's not helpful. Yeah, it's not helpful. Because what it then says is like, take that out of your house. When you're doing the whole 30, for example, which I have done, but I also macro counted for a short minute and was, it was a very bad experience. I mean, at the time, I was like, Oh, my gosh, I'm doing so well. And then it was not good. And then I quote, unquote, recovered with the whole 30, <laughs> which is all the <laughs> I laugh at it now because I'm way far from that. But you know, you know better. I know better now. I do better. The uh, one of the mantras, or I guess the things that Melissa, what's her name? You know, you, everybody knows her name. Whole 30 mm-hmm. gal, um, Hartwig says is like, she calls it the food with no breaks, meaning like these are foods that you just have no control over. So then that also assumes that you just can't, can't have that around. So again, can you just talk a little bit about like that? Would you say that if someone has a food that they feel they have no breaks with, there's some restriction in their life? Absolutely. Would you say that? Okay. And it's just like any other biological function. So if you hold your breath, if you're like underwater for a significant amount of time, you are going to come up to that surface and you are going to just be gasping for air because your air was restricted. Same with sleep. If you stay up for an entire day, you're going to sleep, sleep, sleep. If you're thirsty, all you're going to do is think about water. So it's going to be just like food. You're just going to be thinking about food because you're hungry and then you finally drink that water, you're going to drink so much water. It's just the natural pendulum from restriction is going to go into the other direction. Totally normal and natural. Your body is working as it's supposed to. And we can't outsmart our bodies. Our bodies are so dang smart. And I've said this quite often. The reasons that there is that urge to binge on something would be be because you're restricting. Okay, so then how do we start to move towards, it's not going to be forever if you feel like you're just going to binge on cake. How do how do you move towards getting over that initial fear? Because I feel like what you're saying is that initial fear is like the big scary monster. And then when you face it, you're like, oh, okay, it's not as scary. I can do this. But that initial assumption that you're just going to quote unquote, eat the whole house or eat all the, everything in your house or eat the whole cake... How do you guide people to just take those steps to say, it's going to be okay, maybe you will eat the whole cake? Will it be? But but my next question would be, well, maybe what if I do that every day? You know, like the fear questions that come up, how do you address that? And you might, and you'll be able to handle it. So it's a little bit of exposure and response prevention, which is a form of basically, you know, exposing yourself to these things over and over again, proving to yourself that you can handle it. Bad things can happen you can handle it. You start to kind of habituate to it. While we're also, let's bring in that word you used before, was it reprogram? Reprogramming yourself to neutralize foods. And that's where you're going to do, you're going to continue to learn about like health at every size, intuitive eating, you know, unlearn the stuff that you've learned from diet culture, that this isn't all true. And eventually that urge and that craving is going to go away. Evelyn Triboli, she's the one, one of the writers of intuitive eating. She always talks about this study of college students eating pizza every single day for a month. And by the end of that month, those kids did not want pizza another day, which is not the point of this. I'm just saying it's natural to want something else after that. And I love what you said about the exposure therapy. I don't have specific training in that, but I'm a huge fan of that type of therapy for a lot of things. But specifically with this is 
exposure. One of my friends who is an eating disorder specialist is like exposure, 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 (laughs) because the more you expose the, the more that you restrict and you like fear the unknown of like letting yourself go. I'm using a lot of air quotes in this discussion is like (laughs) the more you fear that unknown, the bigger it gets. So if you just expose yourself just little by little to like letting yourself have what sounds good, So talk a little bit about that of just saying when you say to a client, like what sounds good, what are the things you hear back or what tends to happen when they start to let themselves eat what sounds good to them? Well, so of course they want to eat the thing that they haven't been eating for so long. And so they're craving that a lot of the fears that you're talking about are coming up. What if I eat it all the time and you know, X, Y, Z is going to happen, which of course we then also have to really break down fat phobia. So many of, I mean, probably all of us have some form of fat phobia that we didn't realize we even had. So that's a whole thing we need to knock down. And I mean, I think this also goes with exposure. You're going to expose yourself to the things you want to have. You're going to notice some differences. It's so much more than just eating it. We do start to tune into how does the food taste, you know, notice what it tastes like with that first bite. What does it taste like in that last bite? What do you notice? Was there a point at which the food didn't taste as good as that first bite? You're just really tuning into all of the experiences that come with eating. But, you know, I do want to kind of go back to like this food you really want to have. You might have to have it every day. Chips, ice cream, those things come up a lot. You might have to have like as many bags of chips in the cupboard as possible so you can get over that. Oh, this is, I can have one bag and that's it because that's still some restriction. So just keep exposing yourself to it over and over again. You will probably be very uh, interested or curious about the day that you do start to crave something else. It really is possible. Your body's not broken. You're not broken. It's not something that you can't heal. It's just breaking through all these rules that developed a long time ago that you didn't make up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, yeah, we didn't make it. Yeah, exactly. And how do we, this is a whole nother can of worms, but I'm going to go there. It's like, how do we stay away from the negative messaging that's really in our face constantly, especially if you're on social media with the diet teas and the secret pills and the secrets this, and this is what you do to have a small waist or whatever the case may be. That is really hard to face day in and day out if you're, if you come from a diet mentality and have been infiltrated by the diet culture, how do you advise your clients to stay the course of trusting their bodies when it's so easy to fall into that rabbit hole? It's so mm-hmm. easy. I see people posting before and after pictures. And it's like, you know, I, I know a lot of people who are coaches, and they'll still post that on their Instagram feed. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> And then, but I questioned my own judgment to go, well, is that okay? Like, what if the person wanted to lose? It's very confusing to me. Because I'm like, is it a big deal? Or am I making it a big deal? Like, I don't know what is right anymore. Are before and after pictures okay? Is losing weight okay? I don't know. I really don't know. What? Tell me what to do, Molly. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, my brain went in six directions with that one. I mean, one thing I do, I noticed in myself is some of the approaches of going from a diet mentality to like an anti-diet mentality is I brought a lot of that mentality with me unintentionally. So we actually do want to move away from right, wrong, black, white. I'm actually not trying to convince anybody 
to do intuitive eating. Or- okay, I like that. I can get on board with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That feels good in my body. Yeah. <laughs> if this is speaking to you, I'm really just here to present another way. So maybe it works for some people out there. Maybe some people can focus on intentional weight loss and it doesn't suck away all of their like life energy and time and money and brain space and all this stuff. But if that is affecting you and you have a difficult relationship with food in your body, well, let's try intuitive eating and maybe that'll work for you. Maybe that'll be helpful. It's more about what's helpful, not so much about what's true or not true. It's just like, what's helpful to you? I don't post before and after pictures that, you know, I think that that adds to weight stigma and just, you know, that's a whole other can of worms. I'm not going to necessarily judge you for it. I will encourage clients and people to consider unfollowing, well, get critical of the media and the sources that you're following, unfollow them if it's not helpful to you. I had to do probably five mass unfollowings because the first time it was clear who I needed to unfollow. So I'm not exposing myself to it all the time, but then it's like some time passes and you realize, oh shoot, that's not really helpful to me either. It's like the more you learn about this stuff, it's, you know, there's so many layers to it. So I do think it's helpful to be careful, curate who you follow. And we can't avoid diet culture because it's everywhere. Eventually you're going to have to go to the doctor and you're going to get weighed and you might get a lecture from a doctor who doesn't understand all this stuff. Uh, You're going to go home. Family's going to talk about this. Friends are going to talk about diets. Like you're not going to be able to totally avoid it. So on the one hand, we do want to kind of curate our lives to support anti-diet stuff, but we also have to develop a muscle of being able to identify, huh, that's a diet culture thought, huh? That's, that's diet culture. Just being able to identify it, try to distance yourself from it. You know, that's not helpful for me. And that's my best suggestion. Okay. I really like that because I think where I go is trying to eradicate everything in my life that's diet culture. And, and that's just not, it's like trying to get rid of air. You, you know, you just cannot, you can't box that up and put it away. So I think that it's a, I, I like that perspective. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good way to look at it. It's like, it's not going to go away. We have to just accept that this is here in our lives. It's here in the culture. Uh, you know, you can't fight it because there will always be another one that pops up and people will still buy the diet books and think that there's a, a secret diet that's going to come out that's going to give them their ideal body, whatever that means. Being able to say, look, we're not here to change anyone's mind, but we're, we are here to say that if you're suffering, it is our job, at least, you know, in, in the mental health world, it's our job to say, hey, if you're struggling with something, we're here to help you with another way. And there are other ways. But at the same time, if you take this information, and you say, actually, it doesn't fit for me, then you move on with your life. So I can wrap my head around that. I think it's just the I get so angry because, and this is where I probably just need to like, you know, step away from it because I can't control it. You know, you can't catch every diet culture thing and try to get rid of it. But I get angry at like all the posts and the befores and afters and how many people are following these people and getting influenced. It's like, oh my gosh, you're just, it's like so much damage when these coaches or fitness influencers think they're doing a good thing. And maybe they are for some people, you know, but it's like, oh my gosh, but you're just perpetuating this horrible diet culture. So what is diet culture to you? Like, because there are a lot of things masquerading as no, we're non-diet. Diet culture is really anything that it's like a set of beliefs that thin is good, fat is bad, lots of black and white thinking. Food is either like good bad, healthy junk, you know, really setting up these dichotomies. Um, you could start to look at, again, media, TV shows, movies, 
that's all kind of diet culture too, because, you know, look at who is the hero of the story. What do they look like? Who's the funny sidekick? What do they look like? It is just all of these, it's really sending a lot of messages about bodies, worth, who deserves respect. I mean, it's just, it's literally everywhere. Yeah, how you're treated. I have a good friend who lost a significant amount of weight. I think it was maybe over 100 pounds. And she said when she was uh, 100 pounds heavier, she's like, I could talk for days. And she's a psychologist on the East Coast. And I've always wanted to bring her over to talk to. And she's like, I I could talk for days of of how I was treated differently after I lost all that weight. And it really messes with you. Because it's like, oh, so society puts value on thinness. It shouldn't be a surprise. Like, we know that's there, but I think it's just still like, oh man, we have so far to go. We have so far to go. This is a very hard question, but why do we feel like thin equals better? Why do we want to be in smaller bodies, Molly? Why do people want to go on diets and change a body that is just going to be like, we don't want to do this? Culture. I mean, everything you just said. I mean, if you're going to get treated better, you're going to get a better job, you're going to get better pay. This is all proven through research. It totally makes sense. Prettier, quote unquote, prettier Mm -hmm. uh, looks, uh, you know, you're going to feel better about your body, which nine times out of 10, the people I've talked to who have gone on diets are miserable. And even if they achieve that smaller body or five pounds, 10 pounds, whatever less, they're miserable. That was actually one of my turning points was when I first started working with eating disorders, it just hit me. Wow. These individuals are at their lowest weight and they are the most miserable. And it's not always people with eating disorders. It could be anyone with disordered eating, a history, just lifelong dieters. They're just, even at their lowest, they'll say, I was still miserable. I was, it was just never enough. And then it hit me. Oh, maybe it's not about the weight. Maybe there's a lot more to it than that. And there all there seems to be, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of a competition of who can diet the best, or even the diet world. Like if people will see photos of maybe a before and after, they're like, oh, I got to do that. There seems to be like this competition of who can be the best at dieting, which is also another interesting dynamic to me. But I think people have a lot of questions typically around, you know, eating disorders, but specifically like binge eating. How do you start because you work with patients who have a diagnosed eating disorder? How how do you start to approach binge eating? I know everyone is different. But can you talk a little bit about what binge eating is? So um, of course, off the top of my head, I don't know the diagnostic code. But if anybody's interested, Google it to know the actual criteria to meet that. But I actually just read a statistic that uh, binge eating disorder is three times more common than anorexia and bulimia. And it's actually more common than breast cancer, HIV and schizophrenia. I assume that those are separate. I don't know if those are all together, but it's very common. And just such a high percentage of people who've been dieting because of restriction and imagine that pendulum again. So if we're dieting and we're restricting food, it is natural for us to swing in the other direction and binge eat. So eating you know, way past comfortable fullness is probably the main, like you eat a significant amount of food in a short amount of time. Um, there's secret eating that goes with that. I'm sure there's other criteria that's completely escaping me right now. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. Common. Binge eating disorder, different from bulimia? Yes. Yeah, so bulimia, you know what? So Many people in the eating disorder field hate the diagnostic criteria because it's, it's shape shifts. So yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that when we use these terms, it's kind of like, well, 
you don't have to just have a diagnosis of anorexia or a diagnosis of bulimia or, you know, it does shape, shape shift. And especially probably with the eating disorder diagnoses that the reason that they likely change, my guess is like sometimes in anorexia, you become so deprived, hungry that you may binge eat. Exactly. Right. So it's not yeah. just like, well, is that binge eating disorder? Or is that anorexia? So, so yeah, I get that. Have you seen the show Physical yet on HBO? Or no, it's it's oh, Apple Plus. I got through one episode. Yeah, it was hard. I, and you know, I and for for those that are listening that haven't seen it yet, it's on Apple Plus. It's called Physical, and I didn't know what it was about. <laughs> I wish I did before I watched it because it's really about the main character has an eating disorder, and um, is uh, you know one would say maybe it's bulimia, maybe it's binge eating, whatever. She has an eating disorder. But the way they kind of portray it is you hear her inner dialogue very loud. Um, So kind of the voiceover while she's, you know, going throughout her day of what I like to call sometimes like the drill sergeant of the eating disorder that's like telling you what to do. That was hard to watch. It's a tough hang because what is your impression of like, do you feel like it's accurate or do you feel like it was portrayed incorrectly? Oh, it was very accurate. Okay. Actually. I thought it was very accurate, but I think the reason it was hard to watch is I wasn't expecting it to be that accurate. And I was like, you know, if you do have, if you're vulnerable to these discussions, don't watch that show. But I wish they, I think, I think in like the second or third episodes, they started putting a disclaimer before the show. And I was like, you should have put that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And probably people complained was like, I was not prepared. You know, because there's scenes where she's binging and, you know, how she has these rituals, because it's very ritualistic. And I think that there's a lot of secrecy that goes along and, and isolation that comes along with eating disorders. But what do people need to know? Because I think people that are listening to the show might think, well, I'm fine. I'm doing the paleo diet. It's fine. I'm good on it. What do people need to just kind of be aware of that they don't like go into a slippery slope of being really restrictive? Yeah, so there's a, a few red flags that I sort of look for. Are you getting a sense of identity out of this? Like, is this your full identity? That Are you the fit one? Are you the paleo one? Is keto life? So that might be a red flag, which also probably plays into number two is feeling superior. Are you feeling more like, oh, I'm really good. And this is kind of morals. And this were maybe a religious background or something of that sense might kind of play in. Are you at the grocery store thinking, oh, my cart's really healthy and theirs is really unhealthy. And then any kind of guilt or shame around food. Are you feeling a lot of anxiety around food? Is there food that you're afraid of? Are you suddenly scared to eat bananas? Like that's where I'm really starting to get concerned. Maybe it's not that healthy or probably probably one of the biggest ones is how much time do you think about food weight in your body? Is it more than, I don't know, 20%? Mm-hmm. Throughout your day, what about weighing every day? What do you? What are your thoughts around weighing every day? I mean, you know, as a therapist, we're always going to look at what is the function of the behavior. Yeah, and you know, I just I don't think it's helpful. And usually, it's a form. It could be a form of OCD. We're looking to determine our worth for the day. It's oh, not great. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're looking at like the big picture, it is a lot of like, why? Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that I've talked to, either in the therapy world or the dietitian world, it's like, why? Mm-hmm. Or it depends. It depends on each person. Everyone's different. But looking for those areas of red flags. I know, especially like in the CrossFit world, 
paleo is a big deal, you know, not eating certain foods. Would you say more than often than not, especially with intuitive eating, that if you're like eliminating something, if you can't eat a grain or if you can't eat dairy or I don't know, without like a allergy, like a food allergy, (laughs) and you're just doing it just because the diet says so, that's like, be careful. Be careful. There should be a warning on diets for sure. That's part of why I put this energy out there is, you know, you, you mentioned something about being so angry before. I used that anger to fuel, you know, speaking out on this stuff to fuel my own kind of healing and recovery and just kind of putting it out there like, hey, if you have cut yourself off from certain foods and it is hard for you and you feel bad about yourself and this is kind of taking over your life, like you aren't the problem. This isn't your fault. You thought you were doing something healthy you're doing, you know, you made the decision with like the best information you had at the time, but you know, it might be time to look into, you know, intuitive eating, getting help. So let's talk a little bit more about intuitive eating and the, you know, I know you said the beginning is, you know, the first rule is rejecting the diet mentality, rejecting diet culture. I know that weight stigma really is hovering above a lot of these discussions and how people can learn to trust that their bodies know best. But that fear of weight gain for a lot of people that if this, then that, if I do intuitive eating, I'm just going to gain a lot of weight. Like I'm just trying to be very realistic because I hear people's concerns. It's almost like I said at the beginning where they want to use intuitive eating like as a diet. Ultimately, the goal is still, well, I I just want to, I want to stay small though. So how do we get start to get over that piece of like fat phobia? Mm-hmm. I couldn't have done this without the framework of health at every size. And I hate this phrase at this point, but doing your own research yeah. on it. So learning about what is health at every size, there is a book by that title. It's pretty old at this point, but it was a real big turning point for me because it showed me a lot of the research. There's other books out there. I have a highlight on my Instagram on Molly B. Counseling called The Starter Kit, which has a bunch of books and podcasts and stuff to kind of start to learn about this stuff. Oh, great. Really really understanding because of course there's a fat phobia part of it, really unlearning this like fear of fat, this like anti-fat bias that we have in this culture, while also understanding that thinness does not equal health. Like weight is not a good indicator of health. Cause I think that's another form that diet culture kind of switches from, okay, so maybe it's not about thinness, but it's about health. So we really have to break down what is health? What does that even mean? Just because I've gained weight does not mean I'm unhealthy. And then <laughs> Then we have to dissect ableism because are we judging people who are unhealthy and what's that all about? Like, I think that there's so many layers to it. Totally, There's three tenets of health at every size, but breaking it down into like, we can focus on health promoting behaviors without focusing on weight loss. And it explains a lot of why it's more about health promoting behaviors, exercise, eating a variety of food, intuitive eating, stress management, management, like we can focus on health and improving it without focusing on weight loss. So there's a lot to it. That would take another five years to to go through. (laughs) No, I mean, but I I think what I'm saying is we, we don't want to gloss over any of these topics, because we know there's so much more to it. And we're really just kind of skimming the surface in this discussion. But something that came to mind when you're talking about health at every size, is when Lizzo posted her magazine cover, I think it was just something that was uh, basically like, 
you know, this is me like, like loving my body, loving my size. And there were, of course, men critics or some stupid jerk that said something like, well, this isn't healthy. I hate that people are glorifying larger body is healthy. And it was just like, there it is again. We can't escape that. Like, you don't know her doc. She and her doctor know what her health is. So, so that is where that, I guess some would say maybe like the critics of, well, a larger body can't be healthy. No one knows that the health stats of that individual, except the doctor and the patient. Right. And so what? So what if they have health conditions? Then what? Right. Then what? Because I think, again, yeah, like that's such a good point too of like, and so then what? What is wrong with celebrating a larger body, regardless of health issues or not? It's a very good point. And it's just acceptance and being treated as that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Cares. I know they think they care, but that's concern trolling is just, it's still body shaming. Uh, Concern trolling. Uh, I've never heard that term before, but it's so true. I'm worried about you. Or even thin, very thin bodies. Uh, I I follow another blogger who has a, a, she's very open about this health condition that she has, but people, and she's, she's very thin, but people will still comment, eat a sandwich or whatever, like horrible things. And that concern, or, 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 I'm concerned about you. Mm -hmm. And she will say very much what you just said, like, thank you for your concern. I'm, I'm, I'm working with my doctor. You don't have to be concerned about me. Mm-hmm. It's also oh the concern trolling. I feel like that's a whole other thing. Is like even even as consumers, okay. So as consumers of social media, we also need to be careful about what we're saying to people. Um, you look great, or oh my gosh, you lost so much weight, or oh whatever, whatever. I'm concerned about you. When it's like, do you, unless unless you're in my inner circle, I don't want to hear anything about my body. I don't want you to be commenting on what I'm eating. I don't want you to comment on my body. I don't want, you know, so even that, I like that concern, concern trolling. It's so true. I didn't make that up. I didn't make any of this stuff up that I'm talking about, by the way. I almost feel like I have to. I know you're so good. You're so good about like, and I'm the same way. I was like, I don't want to take credit for that. And, you know, I don't want to, but, but I had not heard that before. And that's just a good reminder. Even going back to. Okay, first, let's just normalize not commenting on people's bodies anymore, just in general, good, bad, enough with that, enough with commenting on people's food, how much they're eating, what they're eating, even if it's quote unquote good, let's just stop that. But let's also go back to the TV show you were talking about. If we're commenting someone's appearance, oh, you look great. What if you're commenting or complimenting or reinforcing an eating disorder? And that show shows how miserable it is to have an eating disorder, to be thinking about food in that way, to criticize yourself so much and to be so obsessive and preoccupied Mm -hmm. with food and body. Like we don't want to be reinforcing that. Exactly. You just never know. We just talked about this with, with Laura Ligos is you never know what people are going through. Cause we were talking about what, what I ate in a day posts because we, it drives us crazy. Cause Mm -hmm. we're like, you don't know what's going on in their life. And what I ate in a day posts is their life. And maybe they're posting half of what they ate that day. Or for one example, Someone was posting, it was like an athlete or a coach or something was posting a ton of food while it turned out that she had an eating disorder. 
And so it's just like, you just never know the context. And and let me just make sure that's clear that like, she posted a ton of food, fine, whatever. But that for people to be like, look how much she's eating. Yeah, that's great. But you know, maybe that was uncomfortable for her. You know, like, that's really what my point is. I'm not saying it was like a judgmental thing. But just like, <laughs> I realize how hard it is to not like, catch yourself to be like, was that just a diet mentality thing that I said? But like, that is how dicey it can be of like how it creeps in. Or when you mention like, judging other people's carts, I'm like, Oh, my God, I think I do that sometimes. Or be like, oh man, I'd love to have those cookies. And it's like, well, why not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so not none of us are really 100% free from it. But I think we can all do a better job of making sure that we're catching the sneaky little bastards. <laughs> Awareness is key. That's just number one, just starting to notice the thoughts. And with a lot of compassion, because we are not responsible for those first thoughts that come to us. Those are all thoughts that have been conditioned. Yes. And they're just thoughts. We don't have to take all of our thoughts seriously. And we do have power and control of how we respond to those thoughts. Oh, that's not a very helpful thought. What would be a more helpful thought? Yeah, I like that kind of tying it to Renee Brown's shitty first draft, how she always says that, you know, the first time around is your shitty first draft of like the story that you tell yourself. So you kind of have to keep revamping, whether that be the thoughts that come through your head and really thinking like, where did that come from? That's weird. And that's very much like a, in the therapist world, like a cognitive behavioral therapy thing where you were looking at the thoughts that were going through your head and going, huh, is that true? Or is that just something I've been conditioned to think? Mm-hmm. And while in our world, we're so used to having that conversation, just listeners, if you ever have thoughts that you're kind of like, man, this is making me feel real crappy, you can work with a therapist to really train yourself. It's I, I say with patients all the time, it's like, it's like, kind of like exercising, but for your brain and your thoughts, you have to like, work out the good thoughts, <laughs> you have to like, exercise the good thoughts, <laughs> and give them more muscles, because the negative thoughts have tons of tons of muscles. <laughs> They've been trained real strong to be really prevalent in your brain. I wonder if this is where we can tie this back into mental health here. And because when you're talking about Brene Brown and the stories we tell ourselves, I think about how that's, those are our core beliefs. And so common core beliefs with this stuff. Okay, wait, let me back up. So disordered eating, dieting, eating disorders, we actually look at them more as they're not necessarily the problem, they're the solution to the problem. And so are these behaviors helping us to like suppress, numb, avoid, distract ourselves from these core beliefs of feeling like I'm not good enough or I'm not lovable? Or are they helping with anxiety and depression and trauma? And so that's why we should go back to the function of these behaviors and like what what purpose is it serving? Yeah, which is hard for people to... I think, well, I shouldn't say that for everybody, but I think it's scary to to unravel that. You know, what you're saying is like, that's not the problem, it's the symptom. So when you are doing these behaviors, there's a, there's a reason behind it. And working with a therapist, that's why it's so great to work with a therapist to kind of dissect what it is that these behaviors are serving. I, you know, I always say in therapy is, you know, we do things because it serves us. <laughs> we wouldn't do things if it didn't serve us in some way, shape or form. Now, some behaviors obviously are kind of like a band-aid and it's not going to work for us forever and it could end up really harming us, but we're doing it because it serves some purpose. Otherwise, just human biology, we're not going to do it. So we get something out of it. Mm-hmm. So kind of learning to say, 
Well, actually, this behavior, whether it be drinking, drugs, any substance abuse, um, eating disorders, sex addictions, you name it, there's something that you're, the behavior is the symptom of a problem. And getting to the core beliefs, so like an example of a core belief would be like, I don't deserve a full life. I don't deserve a happy life. Fill in the blank of some kind of negative. It's it's something that you kind of, a core belief is what you believe to your core of something that is true to you. And a lot of times, just because as humans, it's easier for us to believe the negative and we take a lot, a lot of trauma and internalize it. It's easier, to, easier for us to believe the negative than it is the positive. So that just kind of gets ingrained, whether it be something from our parents, something from a relationship that it has just worn us down to where we have that negative core belief. So kind of getting to that piece to say, all right, let's analyze that a little bit to see if that's true and how we can heal that. It takes a lot of healing sometimes, Mm -hmm. but that can be really scary because it's easier in some cases for a lot of us to avoid and to do the maladaptive behaviors than it is to really face the scary things and the sad things and the angry things. Absolutely. Because I mean, I think we are mainly talking about trauma at this point. And a lot of things that we don't realize are trauma are these core beliefs came from somewhere. And this is where we will tie in EMDR and figuring out what is the core belief that we can desensitize desensitize and reprocess. Because Mm -hmm. if your core belief is I'm not good enough, of course, you're going to do whatever it takes to try to feel good enough. You're going to try to lose weight. You're going to restrict as much as possible, try to change your body so you can feel like you're good enough. But until we get to that core and we heal that and start to feel like, oh, I am good enough. Because would we be dieting and trying to change our body so much if we felt like, huh, I am actually good enough. I really feel that in my in my core, yeah. in my soul. Yeah. yeah. Like I am fabulous. Yeah. Like, do you follow Tracy Ellis Ross on Instagram, by the way? Whenever you, she's, she's Diana Ross's daughter, one of her daughters, and she's, she's the epitome. And I would be very surprised if she was one of those people that like behind the scenes is suffering because she is just, she is the essence. I want to be that essence, that level of essence. Like she is what I strive to be as far as like acceptance and love and like celebrating life. Her Instagram is pure joy. And anytime I Mm -hmm. see her like she's always in fabulous outfits. She's always having fun. She's laughing at herself. She has the most amazing voice. Like whenever she talks, she just makes me laugh. And I feel like that is kind of like, (laughs) that's someone who's like the epitome of just pure Mm self-love. But what I want to get to really quickly and finally, so we can wrap this up, but like, I cannot tell you, and I'm sure you've seen this too in your practice is how many clients come to me when I ask to do a trauma inventory, which is basically like, what traumas have you experienced in your life? people will just be like, Oh, no, I'm fine. And then like two sessions later, they'll be like, Well, yeah, you know, when I was eight, my mother married an abusive man. And for like 12 years, I was around domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And now and it's just like, Oh, man, you know, just how we define trauma, because that was just your norm is devastating to me because it's like, Oh, my heart hurts. My heart hurts just because of like, you, it was so normal that you don't realize that that was traumatic. And how much that impacted your life in a negative way to where we, you know, I have to then validate and say, I just need you to know as the objective person, it was not okay for you to be in that environment. You should have been a a child instead of having to be the adult that stood between the adults, bringing to the forefront that that is a trauma. And that's a hard discussion to have sometimes because people are like, well, what? And so 
never take for, you know, never take it at face value when people say, when a therapist asks, I'm just saying like, maybe as a therapist, I never take it face value when they say, no, I haven't had any traumas. Because sometimes people don't realize what actually was a trauma was truly traumatic. So um, that can take some time too in therapy to really recognize something negative that really impacted you. Absolutely. And we can even quick go over that definition of trauma could be anything that was too much, too fast, too soon, or not enough for too long. And a lot of people don't realize that one. And that's the one I see the most. It is so often family systems, just not getting what you needed, not feeling cherished by at least one person in your life whose job it was to cherish you. That can be a wound that's about everything. Like really feeling like I am not lovable. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I see a lot of addictions, mm-hmm. uh, eating, food, um, substance abuse, that has so much to do with self-soothing, that it's mm-hmm. like you were just trying to soothe you, you little baby, you know? And so that's a really good point, too, of just what trauma is. But uh, this has been such an enlightening discussion around a lot of things. Um, <laughs> that it, it, it was exactly what I wanted it to be, because I feel like there's we could have probably talked for five hours on every single topic we kind of brought up. But my point of this discussion really is to get people to start talking or maybe asking more questions or what you mentioned before is like being critical of what we're consuming. And also, if you are going to be doing a diet, being critical of that, of what's it for, maybe talking to a therapist before you do that or a dietitian. And that if you think you have an eating disorder, we can put some resources in the show notes. Um, I'll certainly link Molly's handle and where you can find her if you live in Hawaii or Florida and want to work with her. Uh, The reason for that is when you're licensed as a therapist, you can only practice in the state that you're licensed in. So she's licensed in those two states. Um, Certainly getting the resources to get the help that you may need. Even if you think it's not you, maybe just talking to someone will help suss that out. But to have these important discussions to make sure that we're being critical of this information that it really can impact us no matter how much you think you have a handle on it. If intuitive eating is something you're all of a sudden turning into a diet, maybe step back, read the intuitive eating book and submit your questions because we really want to hear from you. Maybe we'll have to do some part twos, threes and fours and get some listener questions in to dig deeper into these topics. So really why I looked at this at this episode specifically as an introduction to this discussion of this very layered discussion, because I don't want to do a disservice by just being like rushing through all these things and then just closing the book because I think we're in this for the long haul. Yeah. And I I think I was just reflecting on everything we went over and it probably is a lot of information but part of me is actually really glad that we talked about a lot of the main topics, because if if this is something that's really speaking to you, then you have a starting point of, okay, I should look into yeah, health at every size, intuitive eating, diet culture, weight stigma, body image approaches, because we, we need to do all of those things. So no wonder why it can feel easy to just keep like dieting, doing things that are very black and white, because intuitive eating And this like path to healing our relationship with food and body is not as simple. So it totally makes sense why this might feel really hard, but it just starts with gathering information and just start to, you know, learn more about this. It's kind of like learning a whole new language. The more you can kind of immerse yourself in it, the the easier it becomes, the more fluent you become. Yeah. And depending on how much training you've had throughout your life, and by training, I just mean like programming of diet culture, the older you are. the more you kind of have to undo, like if you're starting, and it's not to say it's 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 hopeless, but I am saying that 
I use this often with clients. I'll say, you know, it took us a long time to get where we are. It's not just going to turn turn over overnight. We are going to have to do some work to kind of unravel some of this stuff. So, and that's okay. So not to put too much pressure of like, okay, now I have to undo this diet culture. It feels like a huge mountain to climb, but there is hope to this. So thank you so much, Molly. It was such a good discussion. I really hope you'll come back and that we can do more of these because I think it's just a really good start to this awesome, awesome discussion. And thank you listeners for tuning in to the Girls Gone Wild podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Like we do it.